of the mothers of Bethlehem weeping for their dead children as Herod has them butchered because he's scared of the child the Magi had told him of. And you know, compared with Herod's other brutal massacres, the death of a relatively small number of small children in a small rural town does not even mention a, uh, does not even rate a mention in the history books. But you get the sense of its devastation on the women, on the mothers of the town. You know, at Christmas we're more used to the joy-filled carols that reflect the rich and wonderful songs in Luke's gospel. Mary's song at finding out that what she has been told about being pregnant by the Holy Spirit is true, what we call the Magnificat. Zechariah's anthem, deep in the traditions of the Psalms, speaking of God's long-looked-for salvation as he celebrates the birth of his son, John, who we know as John the Baptist. The angelic choir proclaiming glory to God in highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. And I think of that as the greatest production number of all time. Vast armies of angels performing for uh, a very select audience. But there's something really different here because it's not the select audience of rich people who can pay for such an extravaganza for entertainment, but rather it's to poor outsiders for whom the good news is their inclusion into God's kingdom. But Matthew's Christmas music is wailing and lament. Funeral dirge and the blues. Matthew paints us a picture of Christmas which has more in common with the war-torn regions of our world today, full of violence, with the death of innocence and the wail of the bereft, the desperate plight of refugees, the powerful enforcing their will by violence and at gunpoint. than it does with that idyllic and romanticized nativity display we're used to seeing on all those hallmark cards. Now I don't want to come across as all grinchy like I want to try and steal your Christmas joy. I'm not. I'm not being all Ebenezer Scrooge and wanting to impose a bah humbug to dampen our festivities. I'm not even simply expressing that downbeatness which seems to be the new normal after a year of COVID. Far from it. You see, the gritty, brutal reality of Matthew's narrative and its Christmas morning highlights the wonder and joy and beauty of Christmas morning. Because the Christ child, Jesus, is real hope from a real God, come in a real person, into the midst of brutally real life. And that's really good news. Amidst the bleakness of what was going on, there is this reoccurring formula. And I wondered, as you listened, did you hear it? It was done in order to fulfill the scriptures, the place of Jesus' birth, his having to flee to Egypt, even his name, even the wailing of the women in Bethlehem. 
It may seem that Herod was, has all the power in this story and that he was able to impose his will. But even in the face of that, God's plans and purposes are in actual fact not thwarted. God's plans for salvation and for our good are being implemented. And that gives us hope even in the darkness, the darkest of days and the darkest of years, that God is at work. And while it does not soothe the anguish of those Bethlehem mothers, nothing can. Matthew's quote from Jeremiah 31.15 sort of puts it into perspective because, you see, it comes from the darkest point in Israel's history. And it uses the image of Rachel, Isaac's beloved wife who died giving birth to Benjamin and who was buried near Ramah, crying for her children. And it's used for her crying for the exiles as they are being taken away into captivity in Babylon with the destruction of Jerusalem in 532 BC. And it's as if it is the end of the story of her offspring. This is the sad end. But the verse that follows that speaks of an end to mourning, an end to sorrow, because God will bring them back, because God will intervene. On a larger scale, there is hope and good news in this Christmas grieving, because in the Christmas dawn, God is bringing his salvation for Israel, for his people, just as he had done with those that got dragged off into exile. N.T. Wright says, This is how Israel's Redeemer will appear. This is how God would set about liberating his people and bringing justice to the world. The hope is even in the face of the darkness, the darkest of our inhumanity, God is working out his plans and purposes to bring change and light and to bring new life in Christ, to bring his kingdom and his righteous reign. And you know, here there is a shadow that looks forward here. It's the shadow of the cross, even at Christ's birth. Even the cross and death itself will not thwart God's plans and purposes. Christ's death becomes the way in which you and I are forgiven and welcomed back into the kingdom of God. It is the way in which through Christ being raised to life again that we are able to know new and abundant life in Christ, with Christ. More than that, Christmas morning is good news for Christmas morning because of the abiding presence of God with us. We're told in Matthew chapter 1 that Jesus is the fulfillment, and there's that formula again, of the prophecy in Isaiah, that a virgin will give birth and the child will be called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And in Matthew, God step, in Matthew and Jesus, God steps into our world with all its difficulties and strife, its pain and its anguish, steps right into the middle of it. Again, N.T. Wright puts it like this. There was no point arriving in comfort when the world is in misery. No point having an easy life when the world suffers violence and injustice. 
If he is to be Emmanuel, God with us, he must be with us even where the pain is. That's how much God loved us. Step right into the middle of it all. God comes. And God identifies with the poor and the lowly, the refugee, those who fear and suffer violent oppression. God is with us in the realities of life. And of course, Jesus' last recorded words in Matthew's Gospel are, And lo, I am with you to the end of the age. An assurance because of Jesus' birth, life, death, and his resurrection of God's continuing Emmanuel. God with us in the midst of ordinary life when there are good and joyful times but also in the midst of our pain and our sorrow, our suffering and our struggles on a personal level and a world which is still plagued by people like Herod. The presence of God even in the darkest of times is what gives us hope. Maybe this Christmas morning, you have some Christmas morning. Christmas for many can be sorrow-tinged. It may be part of that year of firsts after the death of a loved one. You may have Christmas morning because of the spectre of health issues, financial difficulties, relationships breaking down, uncertainty. And the Christmas hope is that in Christ, God is with us and is for us with Christ's love and God's kingdom justice. He is able to meet us in those places and bring his light. There is one other source of hope and good news from this final part of Matthew's Christmas story. Jesus' identification with the difficulty of the world, the powerless and the refugee, actually invites us to follow him. Now, sadly, there have been times when the name of Jesus and the Christian faith has been on the wrong side of history. And it has been used almost as a catch cry for the Herods of this world. And that is wrong. Uh, Matt Woodley says this is what it means to follow Christ. For Matthew, the Christmas story is a dangerous tale. And once we agree to join with Jesus... We embark on a dangerous path. It forces us to side with Jesus and his little ones, rather than Herod with all his pomp and brutality. We become the carriers of the hope and love and light and new life of Christmas morning into the sorrow-filled dark places with Christ and in Christ. And I simply want to finish with the wonderful metaphor of hope from the end of Zechariah's song in Luke 2, where he speaks of the coming of Jesus as the dawning of a new day amidst the morning of the old. He says, Because of the tender mercies of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, the metaphor of a new day, to shine on those living in darkness, in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace, the path of wholeness. The light has come in Christ. Christmas dawns in the midst of sorrow and suffering. The light remains with us. It draws us back into relationship with God and shows us the way to live 
and the light shines out from us with the hope of Christ, dawning in the midst of a world that is in the darkness of pain and sorrow. It looks forward to a time when the light will vanquish the night. Amen. And uh, in response, we are... Uh